Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not a very manly guy. I play the flute, okay? So, and the accordion. <laughs> I'm a nerd. <laughs> President of the Illinois Librarians Association. I have all the credibility for nerddom. But people in my neighborhood are safer because I'm here, even if they don't know it. And I've, I've acted a few times on other people's behalf to that end. And it's very life-giving in me. Like just being willing to do something. Brant Hansen is spreading the gospel by radio and in print. His new book, The Men We Need, asks and answers what men are supposed to be doing. Don't be toxic is not enough. It's just don't go that way. So Brant talks about the way we should go, our mission, our opportunities. His thesis is rooted in scripture and reflects what Catholics will recognize as the theology of the body developed by St. John Paul II. And he talks about all kinds of things, including a really crazy miracle in his own life, and also the most awesome interpretation of the Pixar movie Wall-E I've ever heard based on Genesis chapter two. Like, it, I don't think people understood that. I thought it was about environmentalism. Yeah. It's about Adam and Eve. I mean, he's, he's spends the first 45 minutes trying to order the trash garden. He's lonely. And then another robot is introduced and he falls for it, but it, its name is Eva. Yeah, oh my, I never and thought her, of this. Her prime directive is protecting this plant that's growing inside her. Yeah. All of this on Almost Good Catholics. Welcome to Almost Good Catholics, a conversation about theology and apologetics. I'm your host, Chris Odinitz, and I get to ask interesting people the interesting questions. And they get to share their conclusions, explaining what we know, how we know it, why we think we know it. I hope this dialogue may help us approach the truth and have a really great time doing it. If you'd like to join the conversation, please email almostgoodcatholics at gmail.com. Today, I'm very pleased to introduce Brant Hansen. And I get to cheat on his bio here because he has a Wikipedia page. And it says he's a radio personality and author. He has hosted the morning show on the National Christian Radio Way FM Network and the afternoon show on the National Christian Radio Network Air One. He has a nationally syndicated radio show that carried over 200 stations in the United States. And he's a storyteller for Cure International, a network of charity hospitals and clinics in 30 countries. I'd like to add to that that he wrote four books. They are Unoffendable, Blessed Are the Misfits, um, The Truth About Us, and most recently, last year, The Men We Need. That's the book we're talking about today. That's the book I read recently for a retreat that I went on, and I loved it absolutely. And I asked him if we could talk about it together. The introduction of the book is written by uh, Brandt's co-host, Sherry Lynn, from his radio show. And this is what she says about him in the introduction of the book. There are so many people telling men what they shouldn't be. I truly believe Brandt is one to tell men the joy of all they could and should be, all God purposed for them when he uniquely made them men. Um, and then she adds, I'm so glad Brant has finally written this. I guess I can stop pestering him now. <laughs> so welcome, Brant Hansen. <laughs> Thank you. It's an honor to be here. The honor is mine. So you, you got to, I understand you have a, a joke you've never told. Man, this is so risky. <laughs> uh, this is like somebody came up with a homemade knock knock joke. I've never uttered it. I just read it. It came in my email yesterday. It was a listener to my show. And I read it. I'm like, I think this is genius, but it, like <laughs> you and I could unpack it. Yeah. Of whether or not you might be like, that's terrible. The <laughs> joke is, you ready? It's knock knock. Who's there? Jesus. Okay. Jesus who? Knock, knock. Who's there? Jesus. Jesus who? Knock, knock. Who's there? Thank you. Jesus. <laughs> Jesus who? <laughs> Cockle doodle doo. That's the sun. The sound of the rooster. The, so something to do like the sun is risen, perhaps. 
yeah Jesus, the... no it's yeah it's more like yeah you deny like jesus who i don't know who that is oh that is so much more clever than what i was thinking okay <laughs> that is so much that's a really good joke i'm just slow okay uh, that's interesting okay so again i haven't even said it out loud anyway i just read it from a listener yesterday she's like i came up with this what do you think i'm like i don't yeah. i think it's clever uh that's, but i like I, it a lot <laughs> yeah yeah no, i think instead of cockadoodoo it should be like arr, arr. yeah like, i should have done that because i was good trying call. to think of what's the pun about the uh yeah what's no, the pun about like the sun rising you know and uh it's right it's your poor right. peter i like that joke so the men we need god's purpose for the manly men manly man the avid endorsement and or any man willing to show up <laughs> uh what what is uh this is about um keeping the garden why a garden how do we keep it why you start with adam yeah. that's a good place to start what's going on yeah you have to have a vision or you don't know what you're aiming at, obviously. And I don't think guys, even I'm in evangelical world or whatever, but they'll do like men's night and it's still, let's, let's throw axes. Let's, you know, there's all, it's just the same trappings. I'm not into that in my, for, you know, my own self. Um, but I've, I've always thought there's gotta be something more there. Like we're, we're following this script of masculinity. I'm not sure where we got it. There's nothing wrong with big trucks and steaks and stuff and hunting or whatever people want to do. Like, this isn't going off on that, but that's masculinity has got to be deeper. And I think it is. And I think people recognize it when they see it, but it's so rarely articulated. So what I was trying to do in this book is go, I think this is the target. I think this is specifically masculine and beautiful. Hmm. So that's this image of Keeper of the Garden, which is the job that Adam was given in the original story of humanity now he fails at it but that was his job he was supposed to be the protector the cultivator of this of this wild place and you know make it beautiful and protect the 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 animals therein and his wife he did not do that um so but i do think that's it and when, when you when you flesh that out like in modern cultural terms when people see it in action they always respond like yeah there you go. Whenever men are actually cultivators of other people, when we we protect mm -hmm. instead of threaten, and especially if we make people around us feel secure, you know, the vulnerable around us feel secure. Women, children, other guys, whatever. Like that's extremely masculine, I think, and, I, and it resonates with people, whatever their belief system. They, there's something deeply innately right about it. Yeah, and it has to be real. It has to be something that you know when you're doing it right, when you're doing it wrong. Everybody likes to create a little a little world. It could be your house. For me, it's this classroom. For other people, it's a business or, um, you know, start a restaurant, buy a truck and drive around the country. Um, so you're saying that we are living in community versus what's the other thing where you're going to the forest and banging on drums and starting fires. That's That sounds fun, but it's what? It's like hunter-gatherer stuff instead of community stuff. Yeah. Well, yeah. We, we, we associate all that primal stuff with, I don't get too much into the book on this per se, yeah. but we associate all this primal masculinity stuff. It's actually, it's actually a response to the industrial revolution. You can read Nancy Piercy about that, but she talks about how when men were taken out of the farms and their own businesses and small businesses that they would run with their families, you're yes. integrated in your family. Suddenly you're drawn out of it into a workplace for 12, 15 hours a day. You're, you're kind of, dysregulated at that point like you don't know who you are and so there was this thing about guys well we got to get back to back to nature and that's kind of stuck with us the mm -hmm. theodore roosevelt thing um so uh i'm trying to make the point that there's there's something deeper and better there so yeah. that we can understand it. and then, then we got to be able to articulate it to younger guys to be able to say this is what this is what we're looking for you from you four what am i saying i'm using a lot of prepositions but i think you know what i'm saying <laughs> i do and i don't think you're criticizing any of the fun things that men do i love campfires and i love you know yeah. uh, hiking and running and uh I, you know guys love sports and and hunting and whatever uh, but you're not saying there's anything wrong with that you're just saying that's that's not the primary role and when no. the, man, the man is out hunting the mammoth for three weeks or working in the factory 10 hours a day he's not at home raising his kids and so they go wild well yeah, the question is what am i doing to help them 
thrive. Yeah. So if you, if you think about a gardener or a keeper of the garden in, a, in, a, in the biggest sense, like there's species that are vulnerable that can't exist out in the wild because they'll be choked out or destroyed. But within a garden, being protected by a garden, they can thrive and bloom and become the most beautiful trees and plants. So like, this is just, this is, I feel like my job, like whatever yeah. my sphere of influence is, my sphere of influence, I'm going to try to help people thrive in the best way. And that'll be life-giving to me as well as to them. And it turns out that when I have this approach in my own home, my wife feels secure. People around me feel secure. I guard my words better because I want her to flourish. I don't mm -hmm. want to be a threat to her. So whenever I'm a threat to her, even with sarcasm or make people feel less safe around me, mm -hmm. um, who shouldn't feel that way, like uh, that's that's a betrayal of my role. I'm pretty convinced of it. Yeah. Uh, I I agree. I agree. And I also feel that when I've done that, those are my biggest failures. Uh, yeah. So one thing I love here is you, you address the man who says like, well, I don't, you know, there, there are men around us who don't want to do it, who don't want to settle down and get married and have kids and be, I think they're just, they're just not hurting anybody. They're just not hurting anybody. Maybe they're off, you know, doing their own thing and traveling the world and, you know, having a good time. Maybe they're doing nothing. Maybe they're in the basement playing video games uh, till into their thirties. Um, but you have a very good argument against. Like, what do you mean you're not hurting anyone? Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. So th that's uh, that's kind of the under the undergirding ethos, like that we have, which is as long as I'm not hurting anybody else, what does it matter? So if I give a hypothetical situation about a guy named Jake, like if he holes up in his room, you know, his mom and dad are paying for his food or whatever. He doesn't have to have a job, whatever reason. And he just does porn and video games for years and doesn't interact with people. By the way, this is a very real phenomenon for millions of guys. Very real. If they do have the job, they come straight home. They live entirely on online. But hey, if it's not hurting anybody, let's say it's just an innocuous video game. What's the problem? And I'm, my point is you are hurting people because we needed you. We needed you out here. Like God gave you skills and abilities and, and imbued you with certain characteristics that no one else has. And if you don't show up, we miss out on you. And society suffers as a result. There's things that could have happened that would be beautiful. People that could have been helped that would be beautiful or protected. But we missed out. You did hurt people is my point. So yeah, just I want guys to see that not to not as a castigation morally, but more just like you actually have a purpose. Because mm -hmm. if you just play video games and stuff, you're gonna wind up feeling this ennui and this meaninglessness because you're doing meaningless things. It's not mm -hmm. it's not a mystery. That's why you feel meaningless. It's meaningless. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah, right. And uh we talk about the sin of failure. Sin is simply missing the mark. And you've really missed the mark because you were supposed to be doing something. Your life has come and gone, or at least your youth has come and gone. It's going to turn into our entire lives. You're going to look back, and most of your adventures were virtual. Yeah. This is a real phenomenon. It's the Hikikomori um, phenomenon in, in Japan, where they had more than a million guys that basically shut ins who were young men who should have been like in the workforce or just, just weren't showing up. Like, and this is spread to the West where you're living your life online. And uh, I think you look back, people are in very real risk of looking back as an older person and never having actually done anything. And that's, there's no way that the human heart or the soul can fly like that. Like, it's just going to lead to despair. And I've learned that from experience when I've wasted time. That's how I feel. Like, it, oh, yeah. it's fun for a little while. Then, yeah, you know, we, we know we've been there. We've been there. We've been there. We've been teenagers. I remember staying home from school and playing video games the entire day and finally seeing <laughs> yeah. the sunset. And there's the sunset. And we're like, what have I done? And just going, <laughs> going out around, like just trying to run around and look at the sunset, thinking, like, okay, I want some of this day back. I want some of this day back. Yes. So, yeah. okay. I had the exact same <laughs> phenomenon. I bet. Millions of guys can relate to that. But the other thing is like, the, like I can play to this day. I can sit and play FIFA or whatever. And like hours later, I haven't gone to the bathroom. I haven't, <laughs> have I haven't eaten. Like what? And yeah. I try to make this point to guys because it's not a guilt trip. I'm not trying to say video games are evil. What I'm trying to say is let's, let's say they're totally clean games. They're fine, whatever. The, the fact that they're so fun, we have to recognize that that could be a problem. 
it's almost like they're too fun. Yeah. So we have to we have to look look that in the eye and go, okay, that's really fun, but I cannot. This cannot be a thing in my family where dad's playing video games all the time. This can't. It's really fun, but no, this is not what my life is for. Yeah. And I take a cautionary tale from from Japan because I think we follow them a little bit and they're having a population uh-huh. crisis. People are not getting married. Villages are vanishing. Uh, women cannot yep. find husbands. Kids will, won't grow up. And unlike the United States, when that happens, they are in trouble because they do not have uh, immigration the way we do. We can you yep. know, get new people. In Japan, if you get new people, it's no longer quite the same. So um, that's a cautionary tale. Uh, in the 19th century, yeah. during the Industrial Revolution, they had sort of a nihilistic uh, revolution. It was called Ejanaika. And I know this stuff because I studied history. And it was just so interesting because it was in the face of the Industrial Revolution that they couldn't cope with and keep their same way of being. Uh, people went nuts. And then they adapted, and then they had an empire, and then that empire ended, and then they had this amazing society that they have now. But right now, these young people are having a hard time facing whatever role they're supposed to have, and we have it too in a in a lesser in a lesser extent. Yeah, I think um, I think just anthropologically, look at human beings. If if a culture moves beyond prioritizing monogamous marriage, like the sexuality becomes a marketplace, it's it's you'll always inevitably have a surfeit of young men that don't know what to do with themselves. Yeah. And that usually results in violence. Um, but if they can be pacified with video games or whatever, like this is, it's just, it, it, it comes down to these basic things, as you know. Um, but I, I find that really interesting. And I do think it's a harbinger. I think what they're experiencing is a harbinger for us, for sure. Yeah. Well, and also being a, a good father is really hard work, and being a good provider is really hard work. And so it takes a lot of social pressure for us to all buy in and say like, okay, now I've achieved the thing I'm supposed to achieve. If that vanishes, if it just becomes an arbitrary construct that you can take it or leave it. We're going to have a lot of, yep. you know, kids being raised by their moms and dads wandering yep. the world and doing whatever. Okay. So, so this, this is their, exactly. So that, that makes the point about needing a vision. Like who yes. am I supposed to be? And it turns out, even when you tell a young kid, like I stumbled across this with my son, he was picking on my daughter they're like nine and six. And I went into the room and I was like, Justice, like you are are bothering and picking on your sister who's smaller than you. Like you're supposed to protect her. Yeah. But you're not you're not protecting her. I have to protect her from you. You're you've betrayed your role. And I don't think, honestly, I bring that up to say I don't think we ever had a problem with him, with him doing that again. Mm-hmm. Like it clicked. When he understood that he actually has a job to do, which is to protect, even at, at six, you can tell your son that. At 10, 12, guys intuitively understand it. It flips our switch. We have a mission. We're given strength for a reason. But if it's not, if it's not rolled out, like this is, this is the reason you are in your athletic prime is to provide security for people, mm-hmm. not to terrorize people. But if, if the culture as a whole doesn't put up a positive vision, I don't blame guys for not having any clue whatsoever what, they, what they're here for. Like, yeah. I know they know toxic. Don't be toxic. But what's the, what's the bigger picture that you'd be willing to, to to do what you're saying to call people out to be able to, to become something really actually wonderful. Yeah, and so you offer this in your book, and you say be an upstander rather than a bystander. That's language that we use uh, in the education field too. You know, because we talk a lot about talk to kids about how they should treat each other and take care of each other. And you have some great examples oh. of heroes in this book, which are inspiring and motivating. And you often refer back to what for me is the scout motto, be prepared, same as the Coast Guard motto, (laughs) right? And uh, um, I was thinking as you were talking just a minute ago that this is when scouts appeared is in the Industrial Revolution with the absence of fathers and kids running amok in the streets of London. And Baden-Powell came back from South Africa and said, what are we going to do with these boys? And he said, I know, let's give them order and structure and purpose and meaning. Well, you provide that too. You want to tell us a bit about that? Yeah, well, that's I, I do. I, I talk about just being aware of your surroundings. Number one, like your neighborhood should be safer because you're there, even if people don't realize it. And I'm saying this as somebody who's a nerd. I'm not talking about. I'm not a guy that is like, I don't know. I'm not. I'm not a very manly. Guy. I play the flute. Okay, so and the accordion. <laughs> I'm a nerd. <laughs> President of the Illinois Librarians Association. 
<laughs> I have all the credibility for nerddom. But people in my neighborhood are safer because I'm here. Even if they don't know it. And I've, I've acted a few times on other people's behalf to that end. And it's very life-giving to me. Like just being willing to do something. Like, so I, I want to paint that picture for guys. And so I tell them just to be, be aware, be looking. When you see vulnerable people around, you might have to act. And I, I do give a few examples of that. Most of life, though, is not responding to that stuff. It's actually, mm-hmm. I, I include a story from one, one young husband. He's like, yeah, I used to pat myself on the back. So I was always like, if somebody came into my home and tried to mess with my wife, an intruder came in, I would take them out. And then he said, <laughs> you know what? That doesn't happen that often. <laughs> Most of the time, the intruder is me. Hmm. Like, like I'm cutting down my wife with my words or something. And I have to guard against that guy. And I had never thought about it that way before, but that actually helped me to think, okay, when I walk in the kitchen, talk to my wife about something like I need to, I am here so she can flourish. I'm her biggest fan. I am not going to be a source of insecurity for her. So to make a, to round out this point, if masculinity is big muscles, big truck, whatever, if you're not a secure person, if you don't provide security, say you flirt with women or something, your wife it just doesn't feel secure with you, she'll actually resent your muscles. She won't be attracted to you. But if you do bring security, you don't have to be a men's health you know, cover guy at all. If you make your wife feel really secure all the time, you're going to be very attracted to her. That's just a fact. And it, when I, whenever I talk about this, the women in the audience or whatever would be like, thank you. Oh, my gosh. That is exactly right. Like it, all of that stuff, like you don't have to be the best looking guy in the world. You become a source of security and now you're uh, now you're golden. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, and that's such a good lesson for us all to take because, you know, we're only talking to ourselves when we're talking about muscles. But when you're providing that that safeguard in and uh, making making everybody safer, you you really um, you really made yourself more attractive to women, which is a point you uh, come back to a few times. And I imagine it's because this book is uh, written for all kinds of men, including the lonely, hopeless incel guys playing video games in their basement. Uh, yes, everybody. But it's also good even for married guys to hear this, I think, to be yeah. reminded. Like, because you'll, you'll notice it. I tell a story. It's the dumbest little story. But there was like this tussle out in the um, I'm, I'm motioning here on, even though people can't <laughs> say it, out in the street. Yeah, we have like a two-story little townhouse we live in. Our bedrooms upstairs, and there was a commotion with a bunch of young people like wrestling or carrying on out in the street. And it was unsettling to my wife. It was like eleven o'clock at night. She keeps looking out the window, and I was like, "Hey, we'll just turn up the noisemaker louder. Don't worry about it." And then she goes downstairs, and I'm lying in bed because she needs to do something, like call the police. So I'm like, "Brand, get up!" So yeah. I got up. I mean, she didn't, she didn't say it, but I was just yeah. feeling like I'm the man here. I go downstairs, I walk out the door and everybody disperses from right now in front of our house. And I don't think they even saw me. I think they started to disperse before I came out, like right before I came out. So I came right back in and I said, or my wife, oh, she said, that was so hot. Hmm. And I said, why? I didn't even, they didn't even, I didn't do anything. And she said, yeah, but you're willing to. Yeah. And no, I'm telling beautiful. you, this is gold. It is it's so important for guys to know, like women respond to this because there's something innately good about it. And while I say women are attracted to it, what I'm actually trying to say at the deepest level is, isn't that a signpost for who we are when we're at our best? Yeah. If women who are intuitively brilliant respond that way, that should tell you something about what you're made for. That's just my theory. Yeah, no, I I had a story I was telling it to my students long ago when I was very young. I was a student in France and my American friends were trying to get into a fight with some North African French people who spoke French. And I came late to the meeting and like it was so stupid. It was just a lot of like, what'd you say about America or what'd you say about us? Blah, blah, blah. And all I did was give everybody a cigarette and like buy everyone a beer. And then the fight was over. Nobody wanted to fight. All they needed to hear was a stupid joke. And I had such approval, especially from 
the the young women who are in that group they're like you thank totally you. would they're like thank you like the, <laughs> the tough guy thing to totally do would. was not the right thing to do <laughs> you know okay so that's but you acted like a yeah. secure person yeah and that's really cool so i i, I find women like uh like uh the Tony Stark character, and I think part of it is I, I haven't even I'm not even into Avengers or anything, but I saw one clip of one Iron Man movie, and he was he was he about to die, very clearly, but he was joking about a bunch of stuff, and I thought it was so even as a guy, I'm like that's really fetching. There's something about not being mm. a fearful person, being secure, and I think we can be if you're if if you trust God, you grow in that. And I don't, I'm not a fearful person, even though I'm a nerd and I'm not great with weapons or anything. It's like, I, there's something yeah. about that security in the moment. Other people apparently can't handle it. They get like, but if you can, it's really cool. Yeah, it is literally cool. That's where the word cool is. You yes. Know? You're not freaking yes, out. Yes, it is. It is cool. <laughs> right, yeah. right. So uh, you make the argument that we are not made for comfort. We're not supposed to just sit here and, and stuff our faces and, and drink beer all day long. And there's a there's a situation there's a um, a psychological experiment called Mouse Utopia. It's a it's a, it reminded oh. me of the of the Matrix where Agent Smith has Morpheus prisoner and explains to him that the first Matrix was a failure because they made everybody too happy and so they rejected it um, <laughs> or too comfortable I should say it made them too comfortable and therefore too miserable. What's Mouse Utopia and what does it teach us about humans? Yeah, this is fascinating. There's a series of experiments in the '60s and '70s, and tell me if this isn't destructive about society. But I haven't talked about this in a while, but it's so interesting. They wanted to study population explosion because that was the thing at the time. Like the world's going to be overpopulated. Some people still believe that. I, I don't. Um, but they wanted to study like what would happen. So they set up a mouse utopia so that these mice would just expand in this like little this big room basically. And they set up like little places they can go and nest. And they set up like water over here and here's food and here's little things they can little platforms they can get on. And sure enough, they would multiply. Like they started with like four couples and then they multiplied and multiplied and multiplied. And they got up to like 800, 900 mice. And then it started going down the number. And you might think, well, that's a lot. Really, but the place could accommodate 5,000. Hmm. They made these different mouse universes, you know, with different numbers. But every time they never got even close to overcrowded. And they were like, what is going on? Why is there just, and they stop reproducing and they die. And apparently what happened was they realized that the males turn on each other at some point and that they don't have anything to do. Mm. Like, so they would start attacking. There'd be signs that a lot of them are bleeding or like, like they would just attack each other and they would form gangs. And they said it's because they, they couldn't go find food or they had had no role like with with everything was provided. Yeah. And if you if you live if you're living that life where everything's provided, there's no mission. It's just there's this weirdly enough, like this mouse on we that happens, and then this <laughs> the, the the culture dies. Yeah. And there's a few that's that stayed like fresh, like they look good. They weren't attacked. That just sat on these platforms and primped themselves the whole time, while the while the entire culture was dying. They just yeah. just wanted to look good. So I just I just found that fascinating. It is fascinating. It's, yeah, it's also the plot of Wally. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. So it's Wall E. Yeah, not the most poetic portrayal of marriage ever. Like, it, I don't think people understood that. They thought it was about environmentalism. Yeah. It's about Adam and Eve. I mean, he's he's spends the first 45 minutes trying to order the trash garden. He's lonely. And then another robot is introduced, and he falls for it. But it, its name is Eva. Yeah. Oh, my. I never and thought her, of this. Her prime directive is protecting this plant that's growing inside her. Yeah. And she keeps saying directive. Like this is my this is my entire thing, and he has to defend her and that thing that's growing inside of her against a whole culture that's trying to kill that little plant. Okay. I mean, I don't know, I don't, I I don't think it could be made now. 
but it definitely got under the radar. So it's like, this is Adam and Eve. This is masculinity and femininity. This is pro-child. This is about marriage. I don't know. I don't know, man. I People walked off. They're like, it's about fat people in, in chairs. I'm like, nah, you missed it. Yeah, a to- I missed it. I, I'm going to watch that with my kids this weekend. Do I totally it. missed that. Um, yeah, so we have too much. We get we get fat and lazy and discontented. You refer back to Ecclesiastes, which is, you know, everything is vanity, vanity, vanity. Nothing has any purpose. We're getting there now. So we what? We create more video games, more drugs. Or you know what else? This could also be a, a cautionary tale against uh, AI taking over all the work and then what will happen to the, the humans. No kidding. And the the thing is, you can get addicted to anything that gives you dopamine, anything. Mm-hmm. And I, what I'm trying to caution me and everyone else is this thing where we just go for the fake because the fake gives us a dopamine hit and we miss out on the real. Like you can relate to some pixels on the screen a certain way, but a real woman will make you grow up. Mm-hmm. And you, you think like you're triggering, you're triggering the dopamine that comes from a sexual relationship, but you're not actually getting the benefit of growing up as a man. And again, we're missing out if you're trading the fake, if you're trading the real for the fake. So there's something beautiful about that. And um, I, I don't, again, it's not a guilt trip to try to say, guys, no, porn is bad. We know it's bad, but the, it's very difficult for somebody who's addicted to something to give it up unless they're taking something. There's something they love more. So without a bigger vision, it's really hard to put this stuff behind you. And I think once you do have that vision, it becomes a lot easier, honestly. Yeah. Well, it's all, yes, no, I I totally agree with everything you just said. And it's almost like the same false adventure of a video game. Oh, I'm playing, you know, basketball on a video game or crossing the finish line on a video game where the real joy is, oh, I learned how to run a race or play basketball. The same thing is, oh, I made a relationship with another human. And now sex is meaningful with somebody I care about rather than, oh, I'll try a different one. Oh, I'll try a different one. Oh, I'll do this one, that one, whatever, swipe, whichever, you know. Yeah. So you're given this desire to accomplish things. And it's like, I think it's there's something evil at work when it takes that desire and then it gets met in a way that doesn't actually benefit anyone. Mm-hmm. So you do get that feeling you accomplished something. I just leveled up. I just leveled up. I just leveled up. I just beat the bad guy at the end or whatever. But it's like, uh, but you didn't do anything, did you? Really, uh, unfortunately. But you feel like you did. And in real life, it's a lot slower to level up. So you don't get the dopamine hits. I mean, you don't just start as a checker at the grocery store and level up every hour to be CEO by next week for you can <laughs> you can do the equivalent on a video game yeah hard for real life to compete yeah no and uh you you can't I don't know can you get by without doing any kind of job I think you can't I think you have to get do some kind of job so even if you have this whole second life where you're playing video games all night and showing up at, at the grocery store but you can get by without a relationship and that just ma- i guess it makes you sad and yeah um, it know. does i try to tell guys too one thing if you don't mind me talking about this is yeah. one of the things that I tell guys is to take responsibility of your own spiritual life yeah and i again it's not it's not a, a hectoring thing I have good news. I try to tell guys, and I've learned this over time, because I don't have big religious feelings. I just don't. I've ne- when, when people are like, oh, I feel God in this place, or I'm in one of these evangelical rock worship <laughs> things, and we got the lasers and the holograms and the whatever, <laughs> it's, and the smoke. It's like, it's there to create this experience. I don't feel it. Yeah. And so for a long time, I, I thought something was wrong with me. Like I must not be a very spiritual person or maybe God doesn't really, maybe he's given up on me or I've done something wrong and I'm so sinful. He's disgusted or maybe he doesn't exist. Maybe this whole thing is like people kidding themselves. I mean, you can go to a Coldplay concert and people throw their hands in the air and they feel goosebumps, you know, like I want to tell guys in the Bible, spirituality has nothing to do with emotions. Mm-hmm. It has everything to do with loyalty. Mm. Abiding, like 
believing loyalty. And so even though I'm a sinner, I keep showing up every morning. I keep talking to God about what we're going to do today or how we're partnering in life with, together because he's looking for partners. He always has been since Abraham. I mean, he's looking for people to partner with in his kingdom. And you don't have to have a rush of emotion to do that. And if you feel God around, that's great. But if you don't feel him around tomorrow, it doesn't mean he left. It just means you have a different emotion. Maybe because you didn't sleep enough or you didn't exercise or you need to, you know, take a glass of water. So your emotions can fluctuate with anything. They don't dictate God's reality. And I think when a lot of guys hear that, it's actually really encouraging because we understand loyalty. It's like Lord Baden Powell when he gets like got young boys and men like, I can do that. Yeah. I can be loyal. Even though I'm a sinner, I'm not going to shame myself out of still partnering with them. I'm going to keep coming back. We're going to keep talking. I'm going to keep growing up. And then I'll find that he'll crowd some of these things out of my life and I won't desire them anymore because I keep interacting with him. Yeah. So that's enormous because your feelings will come and go, right? Yeah. This, this is one of the things that I remember being – told as we were preparing for marriage. And I think everybody says this to everybody. Like, love is not a feeling. It's a feeling for two hours on a movie, but in real yeah. life, love is a choice. Parenthood is a choice. It's you're there every day, yeah. you know, whether you want to or, or not. And the same thing with everything else worth, worth doing. So you're saying yeah. piety, uh, friendship with God. It doesn't matter. Oh, I feel the butterflies at the moment. It's like, no, every day I get up, I talk to God, I go, I do things God's way. And a closer, closer over time, off the path, on the path, wildly lost wildly you know come right back keep getting up yeah just, uh, yeah. just keep showing up and keep, keep interacting keep actually communicating with them this is the whole point i love brother lawrence i've read that thing several times um the practice of the presence of god have you read that i have not no oh man you would oh my goodness it's I'll so it simple down. yeah it's it's a small book it's so simple it's from this brilliant monk i think it's 1600s okay but his the way he pursues God is so doable and so simple and so beautiful. Highly recommend that book. Um, and look, I know for a fact, like I'm not a particularly emotional person anyway. And I can, I can be prone to getting down on myself or feeling depressed momentarily or whatever. But in Psalms, David is actually talking to his emotions correcting them he's like oh my why are you so downcast my mm. soul put your trust in god mm. he's literally he's like i feel downcast but i know the truth so your feelings you can even go like yeah you know what i feel like god's not around i feel that anyway the reality is things are good he's in control and um you just keep going back to that your feelings can be put on the shelf they're real uh, but they can mislead you they can be great but that's not that's not what God's looking for. He's looking for loyalty, steadfast, hazed loyalty. And again, that is such great news for a lot of guys who think they must not be spiritual. And for wives who think their husband's not spiritual because he's not reacting like she does. You know? Mm -hmm. So that's not that's not fair. Yeah. Well, in a related a related point is you say, I know how it ends, which gives you a yeah. a, a, a profound sense of freedom. To, you know, to make mistakes and to so on. It totally does. So I, I guess back to like the Iron Man thing, like he, he's, he's not afraid. And I think if you do trust God's character, you know how this is. And I give you the example, like watching a game where your favorite team wins at the last second. And maybe it's, it's you DVR'd it, you recorded it. So you watch it again and again. Well, the first time when the refs are making terrible calls and ripping your team off or something horrible happens, it's like you have a heart attack. <laughs> but the next time you watch it and you know your team wins, you're not having that same reaction to the refs. You're not – you'd be a fool if you were. You're not stressed out about it because you know how it ends. I mean, we, ha we should have this advantage of going, I, I actually do know how this ends, and it ends with justice. Mm -hmm. It ends with the mercy of God, and it ends with all things being made new. I can trust in his character. Well, that gives you a real opportunity to just kind of swing for the fences in life 
and do do the kind of awesome stuff like you did with all those guys like in the moment you can have some yeah. fun with something it looks like it looks like a crisis to everybody else but you're like opportunity yeah i love that that's exactly what i i, I yeah. Would look for yeah well it also helps when there is evidence that like tangible evidence that god is right there with you and you have a story about how you got a car <laughs> and i want oh, you to tell that story because then you feel is, god's companionship and sense of humor this is crazy because i would never tell somebody to do this and i i prayed sarcastically which i wouldn't advise either it's about <laughs> as bad as that knock knock joke at the beginning it was like um i was running we didn't have any money family of four one vehicle and i had to get to work like at 5 a.m because it was a morning dj or whatever you want to call it in the dark we didn't have a vehicle we had two little kids i was running and i saw this guy drive by in, in the day with a jeep the top down he had a he had a son about the same age as mine and it looked great like here in florida and i was jogging like lord i need a vehicle and i saw the dude in the jeep we really need a vehicle somehow I saw the Jeep and I'm like, oh, by the way, you better make it a convertible, really convertible. And it was a joke. <laughs> it was a joke prayer because I would ne I'm not name it and claim it. I'm not that. I'm not a prosperity gospel guy yeah. or whatever. It was just an honest, sarcastic moment with God. And before the end of the day, I was given an infinity convertible with like 45,000 miles on it. Mm -hmm out of nowhere and i don't i could tell you how like we we got together with some people we had just met and they knew somebody and that person had just been given a van by their parents and he's like i feel like god wants me to give you one of our vehicles i was like what <laughs> and he's like do you mind if it's a convertible some people don't like convertibles for safety like i was having an out-of-body experience i told him that like, i cannot believe this is this happening yeah and i told him about Next thing I know, I'm at his house. He's signing over the title to me. I'm driving home. I put the top down. I'm looking at the stars. Yeah. Driving home. I get home. I wake up the kids. They're in their bunk bed. They weren't quite asleep yet, but then my wife was there. I'm like, kids, I prayed for a car today. I want, to, I want you to hear this. <laughs> I prayed for a convertible. I want you to come downstairs and see something. And they were in their pajamas, and we all got in a convertible and, and drove around. It was a nice humid night. Yeah, but I wanted them to remember that I cannot believe that happened. That was a sarcastic prayer, mm -hmm. and I tell people like the simplistic thing: be like, "Well, I'm going to pray for convertible." No, no, that's just it. God is someone you relate to. He's not a computer. He's not a. It's not a magic prayer. Isn't a magic spell. This is a, actually a relational thing, and it was such a sense of humor moment from him. Like I may never have anything yeah. like that happen again. It doesn't matter. That's it's inexplicable that that happened otherwise. Well, and I think even more precious than an awesome new car is the immediate relationship and friendship you get to experience with God while you're still alive, right? Yes. Because yeah. I'm looking for these things all the time and they come to me, oh, that song came on or oh, I had a dream and the dream answered my question, but it's not quite the same. <laughs> just, Isn't that some... crazy? And it, to me, knowing like, I'm hyper skeptical too, so I'm always yeah. like coming up with why that's not. But it's it's like you touch a wire and you realize it's electrified. Like, oh my gosh, yeah, this thing is on. Yeah, like this is real. C.S. Lewis talked about playing with a rope underneath a door, just kind of pulling on it, and it goes into a dark room. You don't see what's on the other side of the door, and then then you feel somebody pull back on it. Mm -hmm. Like, whoa, hmm. there's someone actually. No kidding, he's he's actually here and he's listening, even to a sinner like me. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, you 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 make the point that God does not push us too much. It's really about relationship and walking freely alongside with Him, because He could come and correct us all the time as we're messing things up over and over and over again. He seems to give us gentle reminders and a lot of freedom, and not too much advice in the moment, but always, uh, you know, a welcome back after we were done. Uh, making yeah, thing. I grew up thinking the whole thing. Bam! That's just it. Like I think the same thing. Like like. You grow up and you can come from a religious background and just be, it's all very scary. But I always thought the other shoe was going to drop at some point. Yeah. Like God's going to get me. And then there's that Psalm 23 
it concludes with surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It's like the other shoe is not going to drop. Apparently yeah. his love and his mercy is going to go with us the whole way. He's been gentle. He'll continue to be gentle all the way. And then it gets better after that. So that's all good news good to grow out of that. That's good news. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. It's, we're playing from a, a strong hand if we want. Yeah. Um, what else did I want to ask? I want to ask you. Oh, there's a beautiful thought that you have that I find very nice. And you take it from C.S. Lewis as well. Um, that, oh, there's something good that somebody else has. And I don't have to have it. And that is liberating. Like, yeah. look at that guy's awesome convertible. Look at that guy's pretty wife. Look at that guy's important job. I can enjoy that that yeah. exists without having to try to grasp it for for my own. Yeah, that's like a little uh, discipline. I was telling guys, like, I, I saw a Porsche Carrera or something. It's such a nicely designed car. And it was sitting behind somebody's garage. I'm like, you know what? I could get me. I don't have to have one of those. I don't have to have everything beautiful that I see. Like, I need, I, I how do I get this? Or how do I get, this? like, why can't I just say a really nicely designed car? I don't have to have it. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of people with boats here where we live in Jupiter, Florida. And, everybody's like how do i get a boat like like i don't need a boat i just need friends that have boats so i can <laughs> hang out on their boat <laughs> yeah but honestly like the, the, that content soul is is really freeing we, we can say yes yes that is a very attractive woman and not for me i'm married i don't have to control everything beautiful in the world someone else can be her husband and be like that's just that's just a great way to live yeah and we can just enjoy her beauty and wish her well and we'll go down with yeah. our lives. Yeah. 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 Freeing. Yeah. Very. Yeah. Absolutely freeing. Uh, you know, people who want to buy amazing tracts of land, you can go to the forest and you can go to the beach and you don't have to own any of it and you can enjoy it and you don't have to pay taxes and figure out how to fight <laughs> fires and whatever <laughs> yeah. else you're supposed to do. That's so true. Yeah. That is exactly right. It's funny because to wit, like we're we're four miles from the beach here, and you know people want to live on the water, and it's cost literally a hundred million dollars to buy a house here on the water. Like, yeah, and it's Jupiter and Palm Beach, and like, uh, but doggone it, if we don't have the same, we got miles of public beach here. It's not crowded. It's sparse and it's gorgeous, and this, we see the same sky. The water is the same for us. Like, we don't. This is fine. It's fine. It's good enough. Yeah. Yeah. Well, okay. Those are all of my questions. I'd, I'd love to hear if what I've forgotten, what you'd like to ask, uh, or I mean, what you'd like to tell us. And um, we, the last, one of the final points that you make that I really enjoyed is that you're here, you're, you're here and now what you've done, you've done what you haven't done, you haven't done, but you're here now. And this is the only thing that exists and you can't step in the same river twice because you're not the same guy and it's not the same river. What 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 should we do now? What should we do today? And what have I forgotten to ask you? Well, that's that. Yeah, let me hit on that last because that's that's a good point I forgot to make when I was talking about the loyalty thing. Uh, I am not a big guy about planning. I mean, you have to do some planning, but I'm not like the, Mr. Visionary. I'll lay out my old my career and I'll do this and then I'll do that. Like anything that's happened to me has been unplanned. It's been like the Lord must have made it happen. And I trusted him with it. I actually asked him to kill this ambition that makes me grind and want want to get attention or significance. Mm. And I think he mostly did. And uh, ever since then, weirdly, my platform has taken off. It's just, I mean, I could pinpoint it to that point hmm. where I don't need I don't need it, but I I'd love to have influence with people. But it's not a it's not chafing for significance thing. Um, but I'm really big on, on today. So like when Jesus prays, teaches us how to pray, he gives us a short little prayer, but he, he's talking about give us today our daily bread. Like that's your focus. God, give me the resources I need for today. So every day I have to do this radio show. It's very content heavy. I don't have the content when I wake up. I have no, I feel very daunted. Like I don't have it today. Every day I feel that way. God, mm. please. I'm walking the dog. Like I need content to be a blessing to people today help me and there it is 
And then mm-hmm. tomorrow I can't think about. But it's it's neat to just just whoever crosses your path today, be faithful with them. Quit thinking about like being the big whatever. People love big ideas and grand visions, but the people in front of you is where it's at. So I'm really big on that. And I'm very impressed by people who can listen and be with the person they're with and not be thinking about, I need to be this and that. And I'm, some people are like, oh, he's a great speaker. He's not much of a people person, but he's a great, like, <laughs> well, he, well, then he needs to become a people person. Yeah. There's a lot of great speakers. Like anybody can put up a front and be impressive in that way. But like day to day, faithfulness in the moment, that's awesome. Thank you so much, uh, Brent, for being on Almost Good Catholics. Uh, and today, Catholics My of the pleasure. Little C, the universal Christian church that we both uh, participate in with great joy. And would you uh, close with a blessing or a prayer for our audience? God, thank you for being so good to us and so loyal to us. Help us to be faithful to you on a daily basis. And then let you carve the path in front of us and please make a way for us. Thank you for being so good. Thank you for partnering with us in life. And please help us return that loyalty. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Nails, spear shall pierce him through the cross. Be born for me, for you. Chris Udinitz and Brant Hansen recorded this conversation on October 27, 2023, the Feast of St. Elisban, also called Caleb of Ethiopia, a king who used his power to defend Christian communities in Yemen in the 6th century. Later in life, he retired to a monastery. So this episode will be the first one published in 2024. I'm so glad to have had two years of Almost Good Catholics with you, and I'm eager to start the third season. I wish you a Merry Christmas, a Happy New Year, soon a good epiphany. And like last year, I'd like to play you both of our songs from Josh and Margot of the Great Space Coaster Band, www.gscoasterband.com, Silent Night and What Child Is This? And this year I'll add a new version they just published, but they're very talented and very young kids on drums and bass. Thanks also to the Dominican Friars of England, Scotland, and Wales, www.english.op.org, who lent me the photo of the Domini Canis, the dog bearing the torch in his mouth to set the world on fire with the gospel. It's a window at the monastery of Santo Domingo de Silos in Spain. And thanks for listening. More episodes are coming soon in 2024. If you have already been recorded, a bunch more will be recorded soon. I thank you for listening. I welcome your emails at almostgoodcatholics at gmail.com. I've answered every single one. May God bless you and your family. This, this is Christ the King, whom shepherds, God, and angels sing.
This is Christ the King whom shepherds guard and angels sing.